Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe Naren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode today, we're going to be talking about cocaine. Cocaine's got a really long history, but it is extracted from the cocoa plant, which has an even longer history in its usage throughout human history. Fergal, could you tell us a bit more about the, the history of the cocoa plant and its um, origins? So the cocoa plant is basically indigenous to you know, Latin America, Mesoamerica, South America. And it was used, it was chewed by indigenous Americans um, as a pick-me-up. And it contains about 2 to 4% uh, cocaine. And so you'd use about 15 to 20 grams of leaves and you'd just chew them and that would give you the pick-me-up. Um, it, was, it was discovered, I say that in inverted commas, by Kohler, uh, who was an ophthalmologist who discovered that it had useful anaesthetic properties. It also is a local anaesthetic. So not only is it a pick-me-up, a tonic, it's also a local anaesthetic. And it was, it, it was also input into Coca-Cola. It wasn't until about 1906 that cocaine was removed from Coca-Cola. But then afterwards, you know, mankind being what it is and our ability to, uh, you know, identify substances to treat psychological pain being what it is, it then became much more commonly used as a stimulant and as, and as a drug of abuse. Now, I've... I've also, you know, alluded to the fact that cocaine was originally chewed by the, by the chewing of leaves. It was consumed by the chewing of cocoa leaves. But now we've got much more efficient ways of consuming cocaine. Could you explain to us the journey of cocaine from the cocoa leaf to the various products that we have now available? Absolutely. So the commonest products that we see from an addiction medicine point of view is, is cocaine, and that's powdered cocaine. But we also see uh, crack and we also see freebase cocaine. And crack and freebase are essentially um, powdered cocaine, which is cocaine hydrochloride minus the hydrochloride. So powdered cocaine is extracted from the cocoa leaf using a, a hydrocarbon solvent. And the resultant product is kind of converted into a hydrochloride salt. The powder cocaine to transmit that into uh, crack or uh, freebase, powdered cocaine is dissolved into water and then uh, various agents are used to try and get rid of the uh, the hydrochloride component of it. In the case of crack, uh, sodium bicarbonate is used. Um, So um, the uh, cocaine hydrochloride mixed with water is then subsequently mixed with sodium bicarbonate and then heated up. When freebase is formed, sodium, um, sorry, uh, cocaine hydrochloride again is mixed with water and ammonia is initially used and then an ethyl ester is used as as the second agent to create freebase. Crack and freebase are essentially cocaine hydrochloride minus the hydrochloride. Freebase is far more pure than crack. Crack has quite a few impurities in it. But the thing also to um, be aware of is freebase is a lot more volatile than crack. It's a highly flammable um, process and it can result in people getting significant burns in in the manufacturing program. In fact, there's a very famous case of of the great comedian Richard Pryor 
suffering severe burns to his body while attempting to freebase cocaine. So it is, it is fraught with danger. The reason people um, create the different forms of cocaine is um, mainly for the mechanism of use. Uh, powdered cocaine has an extremely um, high um, melting point um, and thus essentially powdered cocaine is either insufflated or snorted or dissolved in water and injected. Mm. Crack and freebase cocaine uh, are usually smoked. They can be injected, but essentially uh, the main usage of, of those forms of cocaine is, is, is for smoking. So th those are the types of, of um, cocaine products that we're usually dealing with um, in, in an addiction medicine uh, sphere. All right. So what I'm hearing is that uh, the temperatures at which uh, cocaine hydrochloride, the cocaine salt, uh, melts is actually very high, which is why it's not, it's not really amenable to vaporization, it's not really amenable to, to inhalation, so it's, it's snorted, as you say. But crack and freebase have got much lower uh, melting temperatures, therefore they're, they're able to be vaporized much more easily. And, you know, off the top of my head, I think the temperature, the melting point of um, cocaine hydrochloride, the cocaine salt, is about 195 right. degrees centigrade, and the melting point of uh, crack cocaine and, and freebase is about 98 98 degrees. Indeed. So it's a difference between 195 degrees and 98 degrees. Now, here's a question for you. Why is crack called crack? So it's basically the sound that, uh, that is made when, when crack is heated up. So you hear this crackling noise. So, mm. so that's why crack is called, it's called crack. Right, right. Okay. So what are the ways that we can actually ingest cocaine? I think we've kind of already alluded to it um, a bit earlier, but there are a number of ways that, that cocaine can be ingested. So it can, be, it can be snorted, it can be injected, it can be put into various um, mucous membranes, and that includes uh, vaginally um, and rectally, and it can mm. also be swallowed. So it, it is... Um, quite a diverse drug in terms of the routes in which cocaine can can be used and it's uh, quite an interesting drug in terms of um, the um, the the efficacy of action and maybe you could tell us a bit more Fergal as to um, the the route of administration and how quickly um, one can get and get the effects of cocaine well it's all about how quickly a substance, first of all, enters the systemic circulation and then secondly goes to the brain and crosses the blood-brain barrier. So uh, the, the absorption through mucosa is dependent on that mucosa being close to the systemic circulation, which is why rectal administration, which is why nasal administration can be very quick because you, you have a very close relationship between the mucosa and the nose and the rectum to veins which drain straight to the heart, which then get pumped around the heart, which then goes straight to the brain. So that's a very quick way of doing it. So nasal administration, snorting, is actually very quick. It's almost as quick as, um, it's almost as, quick as um, injection. Uh, one of the problems with mucosal administration of, or, of cocaine is that because it's a vasoconstrictor as well, it, it, it actually shuts down the blood vessel supply to mucous, mucous membranes, so you can get ulceration. And of course, we can also see perforation of the nasal septum because of that chronic vasoconstriction, which means you have a lack of blood supply to essential tissues, which in, in the case of 
nasal perforation, you get this lack of blood supply to the cartilage of the septum of the nose, and that, that then just slowly eats away. Now, that's not to say that everyone who has a nasal septal perforation has been is, is got a good going cocaine habit, but it's certainly part of the differential diagnosis. You know, there are you know conditions like Wagner's granulomatosis or or even trauma that can do that as well. But the, you know, the good news is that if you stop it, you can usually repair the damage. Indeed, um, yeah, sorry, it's, it's one of those um, those drugs where where the route of administration certainly does does make make a difference. And mm. the numbers that I, I I've been seeing is say for for smoking and, and intravenous um, uh, usage of cocaine, the onset of action can be. Uh, occur in less than a minute with peak yeah. effect around three to five minutes. Yeah. Um, and the duration of action is, is, is sometimes up to an hour. And with yeah. um, insufflation or snorting, the, the duration of action is still quite quick within one to, one to five minutes. Mm. Uh, peak action around half an hour and duration a tiny bit longer to between mm. one to two hours. But it's also th- that short duration of action is also one of those things where um, I don't know about you, Fergal, but m- most of the people I see um, using cocaine certainly kind of binge use cocaine just because the eff- the effect of it is not long lasting, yeah. so, uh, and it does tend to kind of be associated more with people who are going to be using, say, um, multiple lines of cocaine if it's insufflated mm-hmm. um, or, or smoking crack um, yeah. for a prolonged time period. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, the, we, we, talk, we talk about the limited duration of action. So I think, you know, in my, in my mind, well, the key figure is the half-life of cocaine. The beta elimination half-life of cocaine is about 90 minutes. Now, that's clinically relevant when we talk about one of the metabolic byproducts of cocaine, which is cocaethylene, which has a much longer half-life and therefore is much more toxic. But we'll come to that later. But just suffice it to say that cocaine has got a very short half-life, and if you compare that also with, say, methamphetamine, which is the other prototypical stimulant that people use, the half-life of methamphetamine is about 12 hours. So the half-life of cocaine is very short, and that's that's why you can have a Saturday night binge on cocaine, enjoy a couple of lines, and then, you know, it's over and done with by the next morning. Whereas with stimulants, you've got more prolonged effect and potentially more, potentially more uh, serious side effects. Now, we've talked about stimulants, and, and cocaine is a stimulant medication mm. in and of itself. Yeah. It, it also has, I guess, a couple of other um, uh, effects as well. You mentioned its, its vasoconstricting properties and its anaesthetic yeah. properties as well. But with regards to its um, stimulant effects, could you expand a bit more yeah. about that? Well, I think it's important to understand the wide range of, of dynamic effects. You know, you know, what, what does cocaine do to the body? That's all about pharmacodynamics. So first of all, it is a monoamine reuptake inhibitor. Now, what does that mean? It means that it inhibits the reuptake of dopamine, serotonin, and noradrenaline in the same way that, for instance, an SSRI inhibits the reuptake of serotonin, in the same way that an SNRI inhibits the reuptake of serotonin and noradrenaline. Cocaine is a triple reuptake inhibitor, so it inhibits the reuptake of noradrenaline dopamine and serotonin. And what does that do? So it causes a massive adrenergic rush, right? So you get an increase in sympathetic tone because of the increase uh, in, in noradrenaline and also adrenaline for that matter hanging about the system because its reuptake is impeded. You also get the euphoria secondary to you know, the serotonin rush and you get the addiction 
and euphoria, secondary to the dopamine rush. So you have these three monoamines that are suddenly elevated. The next thing you've got to understand is it increases glutaminergic tone in the brain. So therefore it's very neuroexcitatory and very neurotoxic, which then of course can lead to seizures, hyperthermia, agitation. And if you combine you know, hyperglutaminergic uh, tone and also dopamine reuptake, you end up with psychosis. So you can actually get cocaine psychosis. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist, so don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that the incidence of cocaine psychosis is much less than that associated with uh, amphetamine. So the risk of you know, amphetamine drug-induced psychosis, I think, is much higher than that it is for cocaine psychosis. So, you know, the other issue that we've got to understand, it also is a sodium channel blocker. So that, so it's a sodium channel blocker in peripheral nerves, therefore it acts as a local anesthetic, but it's also a sodium channel blocker on cardiac myocytes, so therefore it can cause electrolyte, sorry, it can cause electrical abnormalities in the heart and potentially ECG changes such as prolong, prolongation of the QRS uh, complex, and it can also cause arrhythmia, dysrhythmia, and even fatal arrhythmias and death. If you start looking, so, you know, I, I think that's pretty much the basic pathophysiology, but I think now it's important to kind of go through system by system the kind of ill effects that cocaine can cause. So I'll, I'll, I'll hand that back to you. Well, you know, what do you think the CNS effects of cocaine use and misuse are? So cocaine, again, is, is a stimulant medication. So cocaine is associated with, um, so it can cause agitation, it can worsen anxiety, mm -hmm. and there is associations with um, certain mental health conditions, including bipolar condition, uh, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia mm -hmm. being associated with some people having increased uses usages of cocaine. So it is one of those um, those drugs that, again, as you mentioned, increases glutamate and aspartate levels and can cause excitation of, of, of the um, of, of the, the body and, and, and the nervous system. So those are the main, I guess, neurological um, issues as well. And I guess in our, our next episode in cocaine, we can talk about some of the adulterants that are sometimes used within cocaine, which have their own toxicities um, by and of themselves. Um, but those are the main things. I guess the thing I have not mentioned is that cocaine is also a vasoconstrictor. So it can also decrease blood supply to, to certain aspects of the brain as well. And, and chronic use of cocaine can cause um, neurocognitive issues that we need to be mindful of as well. And also strokes. Absolutely. And yeah. thrombus formation. Yeah, yeah. What about the effects of cocaine on the heart, the lungs, um, things like that, the, the peripheral? So again, it, it's related, a lot of the cardiac um, manifestations are related to that vasoconstrictor aspect of um, cocaine. So the rate of myocardial infarction is increased with um, cocaine usage, um, usually chronic cocaine usage, but even incidental or very rare cocaine um, usage can cause significant cardiac effects. Mm. And I've certainly heard of cases where people have ingested cocaine on one occasion and suffered some quite significant cardiac side effects. It can um, result in significant hypertension as well. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it, again, can lead to thrombus formation, which can again lead to, to cardiac complications also. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think about when I hear these stories of these Hollywood starlets, you know, these young fit athletes, who you, and you hear them, you know, being rushed to hospital at you know, three o'clock in the morning. Well, 
young fit athletes, and, and the implication being they've got heart issues. Now, young fit athletes tend not to get heart issues, so especially at three or four in the morning, I am, I'm very suspicious that cocaine is actually part of that uh, presentation to ED. And, you know, there is a thing called cocaine-associated chest pain, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an encompassing term for all of the heart problems you can get for, from cocaine, including cocaine-induced ischemic heart disease and cocaine-induced uh, myocardial infarction. But the thing about cocaine-associated chest pain is that even if you've got good-going ECG changes of, of, um, of either um, of angina or um, ischemic heart disease or, in fact, infarction, there is a poor correlation between the ECG changes and actual cardiac myocyte damage is diagnosed by enzyme rises. So it's very difficult to rely on the ECG changes to actually make the diagnosis of, of cocaine-induced heart attacks. Just on the or, or you know with with ECGs, you do need to actually have that backup of of um, of um, the the enzyme markers, and you also need to take into account the wide range of differentials associated with cocaine-associated chest pain, because you are hypertensive. You do vasoconstrict, so you are likely, you're more likely than not to have a PE. You're more likely than not to have a hypertensive aneurysm or expanding dissection in your in your aorta. So you don't give aspirin. <laughs> you don't give until you've excluded an aneurysm or a dissection. You're not going to give aspirin or anticoagulants. Um, and you also don't use beta blockers for cocaine-associated chest pain. Why are beta blockers? contraindicated in cocaine with hypertension or cocaine chest pain? Uh, the contraindication is because if beta blockers are used, it would lead to unopposed alpha adrenergic um, uh, effects uh, yeah. on the person, and that would lead to kind of worsening symptoms and worsening hypertension. So yeah. it's one of the rare indications in chest pain where we're not really using beta blockers. So yeah, yeah. and it's important to I guess it just highlights the importance of getting an adequate history and having a good differential because if you treat this individual like you would any other chest pain, you mm. could potentially be doing a lot more harm than, than good. Yeah. So for anyone listening who works in emergency medicine or general medicine, young fit athletes who present with chest pain always ask for cocaine or substance use history. And if you think it is a stimulant associated chest pain, don't manage it the way you would manage anything else. And for me, the cornerstone of the management of hypertension or chest pain in, in, in the context of cocaine use and stimulant use is actually the use of benzodiazepines. You know, we use large doses of benzodiazepines and perhaps other drugs like phentolamine, which are direct alpha antagonists, um, and also, you know, these, the antihypertensives, which, which have no beta-blocking action, so things like uh, nitroglycerin or nitroprusside. These are kind of weird, far-out drugs, but those are the medications we would use rather than the typical ACE inhibitors or um, you know, beta blockers. So, it's, but benzodiazepines first line. Absolutely. What about the pulmonary complications of cocaine use? So the pulmonary complications of um, uh, of cocaine use kind of uh, you could I guess label them as between acute and chronic um, injuries, and I guess the effects um, on the pulmonary system depend on the route of administration, um, and you can essentially get the standard um, pulmonary uh, issues associated with, with smoking. Uh, but the, the main one, again, would be vasoconstriction causing thrombus formation, um, mm. leading to potential blood clots, um, mm. and um, 
those kind of complications are the, are the main kind of issues to kind of be aware yeah. of. You also get, um, when, you're, when you're in smoking, you know, this 98 degree freebase or crack and it's going into the lungs, you also get, you know, the, the, the pneumo diseases. And what do I mean by pneumo diseases? So pneumopericardium, pneumothorax, and pneumomediastinum. So you can get the spontaneous pneumothorax with spontaneous pneumomediastinum air in the mediastinum as a result of the inhalation of these hot chemicals. And I suppose you can also get crack lung. Uh, crack lung is a you know, hemorrhagic alveolitis. So really, you know, it's, 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 you, can, you can do some serious damage to the lungs just by smoking crack cocaine. And just to, um, I guess, round out this episode, because we will be doing another episode on some of the acute toxicities related to cocaine, I, I think we should also potentially just talk quickly about um, the impact on of cocaine in pregnancy and um, the, the risks to, 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 to the, the fetus in particular, because we, we do know that cocaine use um, during pregnancy can increase um, the, the rates of, of, of miscarriage, placental abruption, um, intrauterine growth retardation, um, um, uh, low birth weight infants, um, and also um, uh, decreased head circumference. So it is something yeah. that, that, is, that is quite a serious condi- um, drug to use in pregnancy. W- would you agree, Fergal? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to remember that the uteroplacental circulation is not auto-regulated. So that means that the entire blood supply to baby is dependent on whether or not the vessels in the placenta are tight or open, right? And then that's her function of um, mom's blood pressure. If you chuck in cocaine, you're essentially squeezing shut the hose pipe that is a life support machine to baby. And if baby's got no life support, baby's not going to grow. It's as simple as that. And secondly, because you're actually shutting down the uh, or causing vasoconstriction in the placenta, you, you can get this rupture of the placenta away from the uterine wall, which is called abruption. And that's lethal, potentially. I think that's a great place to end this episode, uh, Fergal. In this episode of Cracking Addiction, we've talked about cocaine, the historical origins of the cocoa plant, the different types of cocaine there are, and the effects that cocaine exerts on different organ systems within the body. Uh, Please join us in our next episode of Cracking Addiction where we talk in a bit more detail about the acute toxicities of cocaine. Thanks for your attention on this episode and bye for now.